After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision... Although actually, it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs. You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cries out, Yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? 
The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Thank you, Karis, very, very much. We're finding that as we're looking in this series, which we entitled It's All About Jesus, looking at this amazing account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from one of his friends and disciples who truly knew that he was loved by Jesus, John, uh, that in it we get to see these big blocks of story, and we have to read the whole thing, because once we look at the whole thing, we can then zoom in. If you zoom in and then try and zoom out, it doesn't quite work. So we start from kind of the big scale and then zoom in on it. And what we're discovering week on week is we see that it's all about Jesus, that it causes us then to say, well, then what do we think about what we've read? What do we see of who Jesus is? Because the more and more we see of Jesus, the more and more it shapes who we are. And my hope is that that will happen again today. But today I want us to look at this whole passage is what we're going to discover is actually as it kind of ends, it reveals something of what this whole story is about. It's about an invitation. It's about every single one of us being invited. I don't know if you've had an invitation through the post. Um, there's that moment, and maybe it drops through the letterbox. box. Maybe it's that someone gives you an invite, maybe to a house somewhere, a party, a wedding. I don't, I don't know what it is, but you get this invitation. And as you get it, there's that sense of feeling special because you've been zoomed in on it. It's like you and only you, your name's on it. And you think, man, I, I'm the one who's invited. It's not my neighbor, it's me. But in it, not only does it show that you've been chosen, that you're special, there's something you have to do with an invitation. You have to respond to it. You have to go to what you're invited to, or you can choose not to. And in it, what I want us to see today is in the invitation we're going to get to look at that Jesus is making to every single one of us, in order that each of us would know that we are chosen, that we're special, we each have a moment to respond. And that's what we're going to get to. We've already had moments already through our time together, gathered, of responding to who Jesus is. And we're going to end, as we've kind of continued through, of responding. 
And each and every one of us will have a moment of saying, well, how am I going to respond? For some of us, it may be, well, yeah, I think this is it. I'm still looking in. For others of us, it may be that we respond and say, Jesus, of what I see, I want to receive of you. For many of us, I think that we'd probably say, well, we've centered our lives on Jesus, and today becomes a moment where we again afresh say, Jesus, I receive again of the wonder of who you are. But before we look at the invitation, let's just kind of scene set, if you like, the setting of what's going on in this story. You see, we find that this story is in a specific moment. It's in the Festival of Tabernacles. Now, you've got to understand, in the day and age Jesus was living in, there were three big festivals. There was Passover, there was Pentecost, and then the biggest of them all was this one, the Festival of Tabernacles. That was like the who's who of festivals. It's like, if you're going to go to one, this is the one that you rock up at. In actual fact, there was kind of instructions within the Bible saying that, that if you're a guy, you should definitely be at this festival. That didn't mean that people who weren't guys weren't allowed. It's like everyone, you're meant to be at this festival. This is the one that is the pinnacle of the calendar. I guess in terms of our calendar, I wonder if it's a bit like Christmas Day. Christmas Day is the only day of the year where everything shuts. And it's like, hey, let's make the most of this. And this festival was kind of like that. It was like everything closes because it's about this moment. And this moment was not only the biggest, it was also about an autumn harvest. It was a celebration of the harvest of the trees and the vines. And in it, what would happen in that celebration of what people were believing God had provided for them is that they would go and build shelters out in the fields in order that they could keep their crops dry and protected. But in then keeping their crops dry and protected also became a moment to remember. Remember a season of their people's history where they lived in shelters, where they lived in the wilderness and lived in makeshift shelters that they built themselves. And in that, knew God's miraculous provision. And so this festival was a festival celebrating the crop and the harvest, but it was also celebrating the history of God's rescuing, of God's miraculous provision. It was also a festival where they remembered their need of water. You see, in autumn in Israel, it was dry. The kind of spring rains that kind of brought with them a deluge of kind of what we see today, um, had gone. There'd been weeks and months of dryness. And so there was this desire to have more water. And so this festival also became a moment of remembering that actually to enjoy harvest, water was needed. And if it was a want to pray and ask God, would you come and bless us as a people with all the water that we need? And that became part of the celebration and part of the need of the festival as well as looking back of how God had miraculously provided water for this people. So they'd remember that actually when they were in the wilderness, living in kind of little makeshift tents, that God had miraculously provided water from a rock where Moses, their leader, had been told by God to go to a rock and hit it with his staff. And as he hit this rock, water started to stream from it and caused this weary group of people to be quenched of their thirst. But also, it was a festival that lasted seven days. And these guys knew how to party. God loved them partying. And so they did this for seven days. 
And we're going to get to look in a few moments of what that seven days look like. But in it, they're with this setting we find that there's an invitation. You see, Jesus steps in in this moment, and John wants us to understand that Jesus is present at this festival. At the beginning, it can feel a bit weird. It's like, in the NIV, it gives this impression that, that Jesus kind of says, no, I'm not going to go, and then he goes. Whereas actually a more kind of appropriate way of looking at it is his brothers are kind of saying, come on, get to here, get to this festival, because this is the who's who of who's around, and you need to be there, Jesus, to kind of make a stage for yourself. And if you look at it, Jesus is like, no, no, that's not what I'm about. Everything's at the right time. And so he allows them to go, and then he goes in his own time, at the right time, to this festival. But John wants us to understand that it isn't that he's going to this festival for the sake of going to this festival. He's going to this festival in order to reveal something about who he is and what he's about. Remember, John doesn't do things by mistake. If you remember, he's like the curator, that's the word I'm looking for, curator of an art gallery who keeps taking us from picture to picture in order that we'd understand the intricacy of this picture, not to quickly walk past it, oh, nice one, but rather to look and gaze on it in order that we'd see the wonder of what's going on. And so in this one, in this Feast of Tabernacles, He's wanting us to get hold of, hey, this is a moment that Jesus uses this day of all other days in the last day of this festival to reveal something about who he is and what he's about. So therefore, let's look then, firstly, at this invitation. It's an invitation to see and know. I've already referred to art. Now, I like going to art galleries, Secret thing I like. I've not been that secret about it. I've often shared from the front here that I enjoy going to art galleries. It's something that refreshes me. One of the galleries I like going to is free. That's why I like going to it. And it's the Barber Institute at Birmingham University. Two pluses, free, and near my house. Seems good to me. So I occasionally go there. Now, when I go there, there's this piece of art that's on the wall, which is the Adoration of the Magi by Jacob de Ponte. Now, to be honest, I walked past this piece of art many, many times because I don't really like religious art. I didn't think it was that good. I really don't like art that's revealing Jesus that just seems to paint him very white. It isn't who I think Jesus was, as you don't find people that white in the Middle East. And so I struggle with it. I struggle with the fact there's a gray horse there, that people have got weird robes. I look at it and think, what's this got to do with Jesus? So I'd often just walk past, not look at it, until one day... Someone who works at the gallery was doing a walk around, talking about different pictures. And because of how I'm wired, I wasn't invited into that, but I thought I belonged to it. And so I hung around with them and kind of discovered something about this painting. And when this art critic looked at this painting, he caused people to see something that I'd not seen and therefore know something that I hadn't known. See, suddenly he points to this picture, and suddenly, you're going to have to follow me, you can look at the big screens. He then points, and he says, right, you've got Jesus here and the Magi coming towards him. But there's two things that are being revealed in this setting. The first one is this tree and how it connects with a roof. Because what the painter's done is revealed that in this moment, the Magi are coming to Jesus. In the background is Jesus' destiny of the cross. And then he said, 
And the setting, which can seem a bit weird, I don't know what you've imagined it to look like in Bethlehem, uh, which they probably weren't at at this moment where um, the Magi visit, but anyway, um, the, in this moment, as the Magi are there, the painters put a weird structure. And he said, what that structure is, is depicting ancient civilization, Greek thought, Roman emperors, and saying the birth of this baby with the backdrop of the cross is going to be the way forward for the brokenness and destruction of human thought and power. Man, suddenly you see something different, don't you? You think, I just saw a green robe, thinking, oh, that's a bit weird. White people in the Middle East. And then suddenly, because someone causes you to see something, you know something. And the thing is, as I saw it, as I knew it, I couldn't wait to tell everyone else. Like, I, on purpose, took my family to the gallery just so we could get to that painting and I could go, hey, come and look at this. Hey, have you ever noticed that? <laughs> because that's the thing, isn't it? When you suddenly see something and you know it, you can't help but enjoy it and share it. And that's what John wants to do, firstly, in this story. He wants us to see something and know something. And Jesus does it in all the questioning of who he is and what he's about. See, what we find is that we're invited to see and know, to see Jesus. I haven't done an equation in Oasis for ages. To see Jesus equals knowing God, to know God. That's what's going on in this portrait that John is painting through his words, is actually to say, hey, who Jesus is is God. You want to know God? Well, just look at Jesus. The more and more you look at Jesus, the more and more you're going to see this invisible God, and he'll become tangibly known to you. But the reality was, in this moment, the irony was Jesus was physically stood in front of people, and they couldn't see him. They couldn't see what he was revealing. They couldn't see the depth of what was going on in order that they could know God. And John uses this moment of causing people who are unable to see him to cause us as like those that were looking in on this painting as him, the kind of art curator, walking alongside and saying, hey, stop for a moment and look in. Look deeper. See what Jesus is revealing because as you see Jesus more and more, you get to know God. See, Jesus wasn't what they were expecting. In that moment, Jesus being around the religious leaders who'd studied the scriptures and said, well, God's going to come and save us. They weren't expecting Jesus. People who were the popular crowd that the religious leaders looked down on, the kind of mob that they described them with, the unintelligent, the ones that live in the rural communities, this kind of proper city snobbery going on, we looked down on them. Like no one was expecting Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, if you look to me, you'll know God. And so you find that Jesus invites them to see and know some things about who he is in order that they'd know God. And John, in the same way, says, hey, look deeper at what Jesus is saying in order that you know God. So we find it through Jesus' teaching. Like these immediately quizzed, and the religious leaders are saying, hey, how did he get so schooled? Like, where did he learn this stuff from? And Jesus says, hey, you've got to understand that 
This teaching isn't from human wisdom and insight. It's direct from God. Because I am God. And that's, what? Yet Jesus said, no, my teaching isn't earthly wisdom. It's divine. Because it's direct from the Father who I've always known. Then it says, through his actions, there's this moment where we get this kind of throwaway and we're like, well, where's that come from? Where he starts talking about circumcision and we all feel a bit awkward. Do we want to talk about circumcision on a Sunday morning? Yes, we are. Um, but in it, what Jesus is talking about is saying, hey, referring back to something that happened a couple of chapters ago where Jesus had healed and restored a man. And then it was on the Sabbath, and so the law keepers come and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, because that's like work on a Sabbath. You're not going to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus say, no, surely this is what the Sabbath is always about, bringing healing and wholeness. And then he expands it and says, hey, how come, in terms of the law, you say, hey, we've got to stay covenanted with God, and that means circumcision on the eighth day for any child. And if that eighth day lands on a Sabbath, that's okay to do as a mark of the covenant promise, as a mark of God's desire to bring healing and restoration to a person. And Jesus says, man, get behind the rule. Because when you get behind the rule, you see the God who's there, whose heart is through these laws to actually reveal his want to bring wholeness and restoration to everyone. So in that moment, he says, look, when you look at this, you've got to examine the rule because when you see through it, what you see isn't one who's seeking to rebel, but one who's seeking to fulfill. One who's revealing this God who is about restoration and wholeness. And then find it in terms of his origin, which is this moment of irony that John is kind of playing on the, the questions that have been asked and then causing us as the readers looking in to see something different. So we find that people are saying, yeah, but we know where you're from, Jesus. We know your dad. We know your mom. We know you're from Galilee. And we know the promised one. He's going to come from Bethlehem. Line of David. It's like John at that moment saying, if they only took a moment to do a proper investigation. If they only took a moment to look into Jesus and find out where had he truly been born. I started saying, hey, come on, readers. You've heard this, haven't you? There's other accounts. Look at Matthew and Luke, the beginning of it. It goes to lengths to show he was born in Bethlehem from the line of David. It's like these origins aren't in question. This is the promised one. But Jesus kind of takes it a step further in his kind of irony of like, where did you get schooled? And it's like he says, well, I got schooled from, from God in heaven. A guy called Burge talks about this. He's like, the answers, where did you go to school? Heaven. Where do you originate from? Heaven. And then this last question, what's your destination? Heaven. And like everyone's looking at thinking, what are you talking about? And yet Jesus is saying, no, my origin, yes, I'm fulfilling these promises, but ultimately my origin is of God because I've always been with God, the Father, as I am his son. We are God. And so then we get to this destination moment where Jesus says, hey, where I'm going is to be back with the Father. That God longs for us to see through Jesus who he is. That in this moment, John wants us to see and then know that who Jesus is, is God. A God who longs to be known. 
a God who is love revealed through Jesus. The thing is, sometimes it's Jesus revealed in ways that we didn't expect. Sometimes we can get so caught up in our practices of what we do that we miss what God is doing. This becomes a reminder of saying, no, no, we need to ensure that we're not boxing God, saying, actually, no, God can only operate like this, but rather allowing God to continuously be unboxed and saying, God, you've revealed yourself in Jesus of one who's always about bringing wholeness and restoration. And therefore, we get to look and see where is that happening. And when, we hap- when it happens in ways that we weren't expecting, we don't then say, oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like this. This is how we regiment it working. But rather in this moment, say, no, oh, God, you're the one who's always done things unexpected. But when we see something that's bringing restoration and wholeness, we see your prince all over it. But in it also becomes this moment of us seeing who Jesus is. And therefore knowing the more and more we see of Jesus, the more and more we get to know of the God who cannot be seen. In order that we can know the intimacy of relationship with him. Of know the wonder of what we're being caught up in relationship with him. Because what John wants us to understand is this invitation to see and know then brings us to an invitation to receive. Which is what it builds to in this story, that in seeing and knowing that this isn't any old person, this is God. This is who Jesus is, revealing God. That then he comes and offers an invitation to receive. An invitation to receive on the last day of this incredible festival. And what we've got to understand is what was going on, because we can hear it and think, all right, yeah, last day, kind of waits his time. Seven days in, Jesus comes. No, no, there was a reason. Remember, Jesus is using this festival to reveal something about who he is and what he's about. So in this moment, you find that part of this festival, as I said, was about the, the kind of need for water and the prayer for water. Now, this was a time where it had been dry for weeks and months. Rivers were low. Springs were low. There was a desire to know, God, would you come again and provide all the rain we need for the harvest we want to have this next year? And so as part of this festival, daily, the priests would go down from the temple with a nice little jar and go to this spring in Gion the spring of Gion, and, and get some water. And as they went to get the water, they didn't go by themselves. Remember, there's a load of people who've turned up for the city, for the party, for the festival. So they'd all go with him. And he'd go and take some water. And as he gets the water, they'd all cry out, Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Man, that's getting your attention already. is isn't just getting some water. No, no, we're saying, hey, as you draw this, it's like bringing salvation. Then, he then carries the jar of water up to the temple, to the altar. And as he's carrying it, the crowd starts singing Psalms 113 to 118. Now, we haven't got time to look at all those, so I've summarized them in true Hurst fashion in just a few words. So in Psalm 113, we find that it's all singing about aids the needy, how God aids the needy. Psalm 114, how God who turns rock into springs of water, remembering that moment of Moses hitting the rock, 
Psalm 115 is all about how God promises blessing. Psalm 116, God who hears the cry and rescues. Psalm 117, God who loves us. Psalm 118, the God of salvation, the stone the builders rejected, becomes the cornerstone. So as this priest is carrying the jar up the steps, up to go and pour it on an altar, this is what's being sung about. This is ringing in their ears. This isn't just water. This is something symbolizing something much bigger. It becomes both an intercession moment as then the priest comes and pours the water over the altar. I'm saying, God, provide us water for this next season. But also it's pointing forward of saying, but God, more than that. More than that, we long for you to come and provide water that will bring eternal life. Your spirit calling in promises of the Old Testament. You find in Ezekiel that one day in Zechariah, the streams of living water will flow from the altar. The Holy Spirit will flow from the altar, the temple, and fill the earth. I thought it was just a jar of water being picked up, carried along, poured on a, on a stone table. No, no, much deeper, much more significant. Then we get to the last day of the festival. Last day of the festival, that process is repeated seven times. Man, you've got to remember, Bible code. Remember, seven. Seven means wholeness. Seven means completeness. This is like the moment in the Matrix where suddenly you thought what you thought was reality is just code. And then suddenly you realize that beyond the code, there's something else. This is that moment where suddenly you think there's all of this going on and it's the seven moments on the seventh day. In this day, Jesus steps up to the mark. In the moment that's been promising all of these things, this has been ringing in their ears. On the day that promises wholeness and completeness, Jesus steps up on that day, and then he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. This was not by mistake. This wasn't someone who's been manipulated by his brothers to make a power play. No, this was a moment where God was presenting something of a promise being revealed. Of what you see, what you know, is now someone you can receive. Who comes as what? The one who's able to provide all that's promised. Is the river from the temple. Is the rock that will be hit and will quench every thirst. To anyone Anyone who is thirsty, who will simply receive and believe him. And then John says, hey, just so we're clear, it isn't water we're talking about at this moment. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's be clear on that. That Jesus is the one, the source, to provide the Holy Spirit for everyone. But in it, it then goes deeper. Because what we find is, Unfortunately, sometimes translators are trying to make it as palatable for us and trying to make it as easy for us to understand things. But in doing that, we can lose sight of actually what was going on. Because in this moment, in chapter 7, there is no punctuation. We love punctuation. I don't. But I've heard we love punctuation. Because it allows us to construct sentences and understand meaning through the sentence. And so what happens is our Western minds look at this and think, well, that must mean this. That's why we put the punctuation. So we find that how we read it in the NIV is, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus, source of river, the spirit. Spirit comes in me, and then I become the conduit of the spirit for everything. Whereas actually, a more literal reading of this would look like this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And if he believes, let him drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from his belly. At this point, we can think, well, why are you banging on about this, Adrian? You know, ultimately, we're still saying Jesus is the source. He's the one who comes and provides the spirit. We're talking about John here. John doesn't do stuff by mistake. John does things in order that it kind of causes things, mind blown. Because John wants us to understand that it is Jesus, the streams of living water will flow from his belly. Because he wants us to understand that at this moment it hasn't happened. It's going to take another moment. Another moment where John alone puts something in a description that to be honest, we think, why did you put that there? Well, for this. So we get to the crucifixion. Flip to the next slide. John 19, 34. One of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, belly, with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of what? Blood and water. The rock that was struck to reveal and present water was only ever pointing to the eternal rock that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 10, who is Jesus, that one day he will be struck with a pierce once for all in order that what? His blood would be a covenant for all, but then water would flow because the Holy Spirit will be available to everyone and anyone, whatever creed, color, and race, and background, to receive the wonder of who he is. See that, I I kind of think that's a good response. Anyway. (laughs) John doesn't want us to look surface level. He takes us continuously deeper to see the wonder of who Jesus is and what he affords you and what he affords me. The last day of this festival points to the wonder of what Jesus then is able to bring to you and to me. Do you see him? Do you know him? Will you receive from him? We don't need to go to a physical rock to be struck. Why? Because Jesus, the son of God, was. In order that through him it would bring about the dawn of a new age that we now live in. That then, from that point on, you find Peter talking about Acts 2. Jesus ascended. Jesus does the first ever talk to a bunch of people about who Jesus is. And what did he say? Oh, now he who has been exalted, he who was lifted up, died, is risen. Now through him, the spirit is given to all flesh. Paul, Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 1. Prayer for each and every one of us that we would know what? The power of the spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That's the Spirit afforded to us through Jesus, which gets us to this point of invitation. And I've run on to this point. Are you thirsty? Jesus says, come and see him, know him, receive from him, because the Holy Spirit is available now for all.
Can I ask us to do two things? One is, if there is someone uh, who could go and talk to the kids' workers and just say, Adrian has just gone on today, and he's deeply great, sorry, but could you just hold the kids and make them have a real fun time for five minutes? Um, the rest of us, can I just get us to stand? Sammy, why don't we just close our eyes? I don't know where you're at today. There's been many moments already of us just coming and saying, Jesus, we want to receive everything you have for us. And I feel like that's what God wants to keep doing. Here's the deal. It isn't that it's a one-off moment. It isn't that we come and say, yeah, I'm thirsty. I remember saying that once, and then I carry on. No, no it's a moment by moment coming and saying, Jesus, I am thirsty. I need you. And just if that's you, I, I'd say maybe it's for the first time and you're saying, Jesus, I see who you are and I just look at my life and I just say, I am thirsty. And Jesus, I want to say, would you come and overwhelm me by your Holy Spirit? But maybe we're followers of Jesus and we've said, no, Jesus, I've sent my life on you. But today is a moment where we just say, Jesus, I've allowed myself just to get satisfied by being thirsty. Whereas actually you call me continuously come back to you and receive your Holy Spirit and have my deepest thirst quenched. So just where you are, just if that's you, why don't you just close your eyes, put your hands out to saying, Jesus, I receive you. I'm just going to get Andrew, just going to play just in the background so it doesn't feel as awkward. Just a number of people with their hands out, just... I'm just going to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for each and every one of us. Jesus, I pray, would you come and would you quench our deepest thirst? Jesus, I thank you that you promised to come by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that all that you've done affords us this moment. Have you been able to say that you've come to satisfy every thirst? And so I ask Jesus now, come by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just say you're so welcome here. We ask Holy Spirit, come and meet with every individual. I thank you, you know each of our situations. I thank you, you know whether it's our first moment of coming and saying we need you, or whether it's that we've just been living knowing uh, we've just thought we've just got to exist thirsting. And you just come gently reminding us, no, no, I've come in order that you would know life. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You come and bring refreshment. You come and bring the wonder of the knowledge of the life that we have through Jesus. Of knowing more, we're more loved than we could dare to believe. You come and cause us to know wholeness. As so I pray, come now. Come now.